0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you to Lisa and Amanda and Becky back there for just keeping us in order on Tuesday mornings. It's a sacrifice, and I really appreciate it. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time. I ask that you just go before us right now and just prepare the soil of our hearts to receive your word in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I know the only answer you want is what happens to the pigs. That's it. That's all we want to know. What happened to the pigs? And perhaps we'll be able to figure that out. I'm not sure. But I want to start out by telling you a story. So when I was in middle school, I went to. I lived in a small town. I went to the small church. It was a thriving church. So when I was in middle school, uh, it was so small that sixth through eighth grade met together for Sunday school. And this particular Sunday, I was going because I was in love with a boy named Dennis. And he was a year older and he was in my Sunday school class. And we would always sit beside each other in Sunday school. And I just will admit I paid no attention to what was going on because Dennis was beside me and that's all that mattered. I had made him a mixtape. And I was going to give it to him. And I had Phil Collins against all odds on the mix. I mean, this was like, I was declaring my undivided love to Dennis that week. And he didn't show up because he was sick. Now, the problem with this story is my dad was my Sunday school teacher. So when you're in middle school, I'm pretty sure the worst thing that could happen to you when you're sitting beside the boy that you're in love with is that your dad is your Sunday school teacher. So... I didn't listen to my dad a lot on Sunday mornings, but I think it was the Holy Spirit that Dennis wasn't there because I heard my dad say something that particular Sunday, and he said, we were talking about David and Goliath, and he said, approach the stories you know with fresh eyes every time. And you know, I've never forgotten that. So a lot of these stories today are ones that we've heard, so I want us just to approach them with fresh eyes. So let's dive in. C.S. Lewis, another quote. Couldn't leave this week out without a C.S. Lewis cloak. Look to Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else. So that's our theme for today. We're going to look to Christ in these stories, and we're going to look towards the cross, which we know was coming. So we start out, Jesus calms the storm, a familiar story, one that we love, one that we often use to describe our experiences when we're going through trials to say Jesus is with us. And that is true. But there's so much more. So the context, they are going back out on the boat. Jesus says, let's get in and let's go to the other side. They were headed to this region called Gerasese is probably the best way to describe it. And they were on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across, and it was notorious for really bad storms, very violent storms that would come on very quickly based on the way it was situated below sea level. So you have to understand the context, and these are fishermen by trade. They were not scared of the sea. They were knowledgeable. This was their job, and yet a storm came, and it terrified them. So this wasn't just a little summer storm coming across. This was hurricane squall-like conditions, and they were terrified. So what do we see in the text? So what we see is that... While they're in the middle of this storm that's coming, what's going on? Jesus is sound asleep. And we laughed in leaders' meeting, but my favorite part of this whole story I had not seen was Jesus was asleep on a pillow. He was relaxed. We get these details. We get the adjectives and the adverbs. He was asleep on a cushion. We know the time of day. We know where he was sleeping. See, all these details matter because we want to establish this understanding. Jesus was unfazed by the storm. Why? Because he's the creator of the storm. And we ask to also understand this. Creation controls us in so many ways, doesn't it? Earthquakes, windstorms. I heard the lightning last night. It woke up all my children and my dog. We are controlled by nature in so many ways. But yet, here's Jesus. And they come, and they're scared, and they wake him up. And what does he do? He says, silence peace be still and I kind of get this feeling that he woke up and he was quiet don't you just get that impression that Jesus wasn't like yelling at creation I think he just said peace and you know what I don't think there was a ripple in the sea and I don't think you could have heard a pin drop and what we understand here is complete authority of Jesus Christ over creation. And if you doubt that, go back and read Job 38. Go back and read Job 39 through 42. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says in Job. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. Where were you when I laid out the foundations? Where were you when I said the sea and set the boundary? Where were you when I clothed night in thickness and darkness? Have you ever explored the ends of the earth or the depths of the sea? Do you know the gates of death and where they're located? Where does light go and darkness go? Explain it to me if you can understand. Have you ever visited where I store snow? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to dew and who creates the ice? Do you know how to move the stars? How do you get rain to move? How do you get lightning to appear? Do you know how lioness stalk their prey? And he goes on and on and on. And you know what he ultimately says? I do because I created all of it. And here in this moment, Jesus is displaying all authority over creation. And he also is trying to get to the deeper issue here, and that's their trust and faith and belief in him, because it says they were terrified, but yet they had the creator of the storm in the boat, and they still didn't quite understand, did they? It ends with them asking, who is this that the wind and the sea obey? See, they weren't quite there, were they? And, you know, we often think about this story. We have the full story, right? We know how Scripture ends. We know what's coming in Revelation. See, they didn't have that. They just had the day-by-day moment. They just got a little bit of manna for the day till they fully understood. So Jesus is trying to say to them, listen, I'm the God over the storm. I brought you into this storm. See, that's the thing. Many times Jesus leads us into these storms on purpose for what? A deeper dependence in our faith in him. I also love going back and reading Jonah after I read this story. And if you have time this week, go back and read it because Jesus even says, I'm the true Jonah out of Matthew 1240. And then we move on from this story, and they set their feet down on the other side of the sea in the country of Gerasene. This was a Gentile country. It's funny how we, I said this. It's like they ping-pong back and forth between Jewish communities and Gentile communities. But isn't it just like Jesus in this story to now go to the Gentiles? So he was trying to show he's the God of all, right? Not just the Jewish people. So we get to Jesus healing a man with a demon. And this story wasn't as familiar to me. I've read it, but I didn't read it with this kind of eyes and details like I did this week. And what's fascinating about this story is that the second they stepped foot on this land, it said he stepped out of the boat and immediately there met a man who came out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, which means that he was dirty. And no one could bind him or chain him. It said he had been bound with shackles. He had no clothes. No one could subdue him. And day and night he was in torment. This also goes on to help us understand that he was probably trying over and over to kill himself because he was so tormented with these demons. And then the demons possess man comes. Now keep in mind, these are the demons speaking to Jesus when they fall at his feet. And they say, Jesus, son of the most high God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So these are the demons speaking. So listen, they had a deeper understanding of who Jesus was than probably his disciples at this time, because these are the demons. They knew him. They knew what was going to, they knew their end goal. They knew, they knew that they were going to eventually be held accountable for what they've done and that they would eventually be thrown into the fire. I'm sorry, to the uh, pit of fire. I'm not saying that right. To <laughs> the pit of hell. But listen, in this moment, they come to him and they say, Lord, most high God, son of the Lord, most high God, why are you here? And listen, another context that's really important. Matthew eight twenty nine said that they cried out, what business do you have here, son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? So they knew what authority Jesus had. And, and, and we have to understand, like, these are 6,000 demons possessing a man. And what does Jesus do? He calls them out. And they asked, do we have to go into the abyss? See, they didn't want to go to where they know their resting place was always going to be. And that was eternal torment. Okay? So when Jesus said to them, you may leave this man. Come out, you unclean spirits and they asked, what's his name? Legion. And then they begged him, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Do you see that Jesus has authority over demons? He gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs, and then they went down a steep bank, and then they drowned. So the question that we got, that I keep getting, is what really happened to the demons? And the the answer really is, we're not exactly sure. Um, are they dead? Are they still alive? Are they in eternal torment right now? We don't really know exactly. You can read 15 different people on this subject, and you're going to get 15 different answers, but this is what we do know. Jesus had authority over them, and we know that one day Jesus will rule and judge everything, including the demons, and they knew that ultimately where they were going to end up, and they begged Jesus not to send them there yet. So are they alive? Are they dead? We're not really sure, but we know that the pigs died immediately when the spirits went into them. So this was a Gentile region. Jesus was showing his love for the Jews and the Gentiles in the moment. And what miraculous thing, miraculous thing happens in this moment is that the man who was possessed by them is healed. He is healed. And then we see the demons go out and ultimately have their death in the ocean. And this is, this is a, a really good way. I love what Spurgeon said. Um, why the demons begged to be allowed to enter the swine isn't 100% clear, but they did beg to be sent out. So you see, dear friends, Spurgeon says, the devil can pray. They besought him that they would not command him to go out into the deep. That is, to their place of torment in hell. They would sooner go to the bottom of the sea than go into their own dreadful homes. Another uh, way of saying this is that devils knew what hell was, and they knew what awaited them, and they would rather have been sent to the bottom of the sea than to go there a second sooner. So they go out, and then what happens? The man, he's healed, he's clean, he's whole. He has his mind about him at this point. And he goes into the village, and he tells everybody, and they come, run, and they see. And what happens? The people in this town are like, you got to go. See, they didn't know what to make of who this person was and why he was coming, and why did 2,000 pigs just get killed? See, they couldn't rejoice in seeing the truth that a man had been made well. They were more focused on their fear of who he was and what he was doing. Maybe they were angry they lost their livelihood. Maybe they were unsure of who Jesus was, or maybe they were just not wanting to come to terms that he was the son of the most high God. See, an, another way to say this is, in stark contrast to the delivered maniac, the response of the same people tragically illustrates sin power over the lost. Jesus had performed an undeniable miracle that clearly manifested his power over the supernatural realm, and to deliver people from the forces of hell, and they didn't want to be a part of it. So what happens? Jesus tells the man, go, tell everything that I've done, and he did that. The man wanted to come with Jesus, didn't he? It says that he wanted to go with him, but Jesus says, no, you have to stay. You have to stay and tell what I've done. And so it's like Jesus commissioned him to go out to a place called Decapolis. This was um, essentially like 10-city group, kind of like what we call RTP. He said, go into Decapolis and tell everybody what I've done. So don't forget, the main point of this story is Jesus has dominion over the demons. And then we move in to the next story, the ones that we love, the ones that are familiar and yet so much more to be learned. Jesus heals the woman and Jairus' daughter. So again, Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side and a great crowd had gathered once again. And he was beside the sea. And here comes Jairus. If you look on your handout, I laid out some things about Jairus and the bleeding woman and the contrast between the two. Jairus was not a member of the Pharisees, but he had a position in the synagogues. In the synagogue, which, which meant he was ultimately com- connected to, to the Pharisaical establishment of Capernaum. He had a position of power in the synagogue where he did. Um, multiple things. He had jobs to do. He was undoubtedly known. He was popular. He was known. He was rich. He had a wife. He had children. He had status. And yet, he would have had an understanding of how the Pharisees hated Jesus because of who he was. And yet, what did he do? He was willing to go and lay down prostrate at the feet of Jesus and say, My daughter is dying. See, this would have been scandalous. I mean, imagine your religious leader in your synagogue laying down in the dirt in front of a multitude of people begging this man who the Pharisees hated, you are the only one who can heal my daughter. And what does Jesus do? He went. See, Jairus was a man of faith, and Jesus responds by going with him over and over in these stories. What do we see? Jesus meets a need time after time after time. See, Jesus doesn't say, I can't go. Jesus doesn't look down on him as being a member of this synagogue, maybe maybe being friends with Pharisees. He saw the compassion in this man, and he went. And then we get a little story within the story, don't we? So they're walking. Probably if I were Jairus, Jairus, I would be walking quickly. My daughter was dying. It says that there was a throng of people. There were so many people around Jesus. I mean, just imagine the masses, masses coming out to see him, and they're walking. And then all of a sudden, what happens? We get another story introduced. And a lot of times, Jesus would do this when he was trying to prove multiple parts. So here, multiple points, excuse me. So we're going... He knows that he's going to show his authority over death, but he stops. And all of a sudden, he's walking, and here comes the unclean woman. And, you know, I I always like to put myself in these situations as if I were there. And, I mean, let's just be really honest. Imagine bleeding for 12 years. Imagine having a condition. As women, we can all have some empathy, can't we? But imagine this. And imagine it causing you to have no status, no husband, no name. You're considered unclean. Nobody would touch you because if anybody touched you, then they were unclean, and they had to go through the Levitical law to get clean, which was a process. She had no way to earn money. She relied on people. She was probably um, given her food like a beggar. She had nothing, and she wasn't even healed, so she had physical pain as well. But she comes, doesn't she? And I think that she comes maybe with just, did she have faith? Yes, but, but maybe there was this hesitancy, but yet there was this, I have nothing left. I've heard this man can heal, and I'm just going to go see. So imagine her coming through the crowd. Oftentimes I just picture her in my mind crawling through the multitudes just to get to him. And Charles Spurgeon said it best. A piece of fringe and a finger was sufficient to form a contact between a believing sufferer and the almighty Savior. I mean, can't you just imagine her just coming and just touching? Just She didn't grab him. She didn't call him by name. Just enough faith just to, just to touch his garment. And it said power went out, and she felt it, and she was healed immediately, and she knew it. And then Jesus stops, and he says, who? touched me I don't think he screamed it I don't know I just it's just me I think he just turned around and I think he said who touched me because power went out and I felt it and you know what here's the most beautiful part of the story he was calling her forward wasn't he he was calling her forward because she had no name and she had no face she touched him from behind he didn't know her face she didn't call out, Jesus, this is Leanne, and I need healing. She just touched him. And so he said, come, tell me who you are. And she came forward. And in that moment, there was a full restitution, wasn't there? This woman had a face in front of the crowd. She had a name because he called her daughter. A term of humility, I mean, a, ter- a term of endearment to call her her daughter. So she had status now. She had a name. She had a face. She had now been given restoration because Jesus deemed her clean. She had a title. She now had a life where she could enter society and people could touch her. Can you imagine going 12 years and no one touching you? I mean, that's not even humane, is it? Her reputation restored and she had her salvation. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your fate has made you whole. And she went on, and she lived for Christ. See, this picture of salvation in this moment was Jesus' ultimate goal. The picture of Jesus casting out the demons. See, salvation was his ultimate goal. Calming the waters, knowing that he was God over creation, his ultimate goal. All moments were leading to something bigger. See, Jesus healed with the intent that we would know him. And after that moment, someone comes to Jiria, Jir, Jir, from Jairus' house and says, your daughter is dead. Now, can you just imagine for a minute how Jairus must have felt? His daughter is sick and dying, and let's just take a little side road trip right here. And you know, I mean the, the story's beautiful, but there's also Jairus standing off to the side, and as a parent, like I just I just think for a second as a parent, I think I would have wanted to just grab Jesus and carry him along and say, "We got more important things to do. My daughter's dying." So I just think about the humanity of J I keep wanting to say that right. Jairus in the moment. See Jairus wanted his daughter to live just as much as this woman wanted to be made whole. And Jesus met both needs, didn't he? And so a man comes from Jairus' house and said, she's dead. But what does Jesus do again? Immediately he turns to Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. See, Jesus works in the big moments like healing over death and healing over sickness. But doesn't he meet our emotional needs? in that moment, Jairus just needed a little bit to keep going, right? He was just told his daughter was dead. How hard would it be to believe that in a few minutes, Jesus was going to raise her from the dead, but then Jesus does what Jesus does best, and he gives us what we need for that moment, and he says, do not fear. Do not fear. This is compassion, isn't it? Just the compassion of our Savior, and Jesus enters Jairus's house, and there's a bunch of mourners. And so just a little context into this, I did not know this until I, until I started studying the story, but it was Jewish custom in that day that they would almost have like professional mourners come into your house. It seems a little bit odd, but it was custom in the Jewish faith that the funeral would start immediately upon death because of, um, you know, it, it was a, a hot region and they didn't have the embalming like we did so that The funerals needed to happen quickly, just for generic reasons. Um, So the funerals would begin immediately, and and these people would be be called in, and they always had flute players. People had to tear their clothes a certain way. Professional mourners would come out, and they would cry and wail, and women would sing, and it would be loud. It would be very loud, and they would be rocking back and forth as to lament the pain of a loss. So you walk in. I mean, we're not used to this in our Western culture, right? But this was very common. So he walks in, and don't you just kind of hear Jesus like, what are y'all doing? You know? And he kind of says that. He was like, what is all this commotion? I think he might have spoken in a little bit of tone there. I don't know. Again, just my commentary. But I like to think that he was like, what are you doing? And then Jesus kicked him out, didn't he? He kicked him out. They didn't believe in him. He kicked them out, and he took the three disciples with him and the parents. They had faith. And what does Jesus do? He goes in, and he takes the little girl, girl, and he speaks in Aramaic, and he says, Little girl, arise. And the original translation of this says, Little lamb, awake. And isn't that just beautiful that our shepherd called her the little lamb? And she got up, fully restored, no downtime, immediately. And then walking, eating. And such it is with a resurrected life, isn't it? See, another picture of victory over death and what Jesus can do. And here is the fourth point, and Jesus has victory over death. This is where the ultimate conclusion brings us to. So I have to ask two questions for us today. To what extent are you experiencing the transforming power of Christ in your own life? And to what extent are you proclaiming it? See, in some situations, Jesus told people not to tell what he had done yet because the time had not come for him. And what that basically means is, The Pharisees hated him, and they were going to come for him and try to kill him, which ultimately they did. But Jesus knew the time and the hour, and the time wasn't yet. So many times he would say, don't tell yet. But there were other times, like with the demon-possessed man, where he said, go and tell everyone. And then there were other times, like with the woman here, the bleeding woman. He did it in front of a multitude of people so that people would see and believe. See, Jesus wanted to heal them, but he also wanted to heal them spiritually. Spiritually. That was always his ultimate goal, that Jesus has power over everything. He healed bodies, but he gives eternal life. The picture is victory over death for those who believe. And for Jesus, all of these roads were leading to Jerusalem, and he knew that. So keep this in mind. Everything that Jesus was doing in these three years of active ministry on earth was to lead him to Jerusalem to be crucified, Everything we just read was intentionally to point us to the ultimate authority that it was his desire to lay down his life. See, these stories won't mean anything if we take Jesus out of them as the main character. Peace over our trials of life, yes. Victory in the pain, yes. Death, he gives us comfort, yes. But ultimately, Jesus wants us to see him as his risen king. That's the beauty of these stories. And if you look at the difference, even in the bleeding woman and Jairus, you look at the difference of, of status and no status and um, death and life and a 12-year-old child in a 12-year-old medical condition and rich and poor. We were all dead to those things before Christ, weren't we? And now he brings us life. So this is the question that we have today. What is it that we think about Jesus? What do you think about him living a sinless life, sacrificing his life as an atonement for our sin, dying, buried, and resurrected on the third day? Tim Keller said this best. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept everything that he has said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything? Why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is whether is not whether or not you like his teaching and is he a good teacher, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. See, I love the story of Moses in Deuteronomy 34. Let's think about this for a minute in our own lives. As we go forward, as we as believers, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we've been given a commission to go forward into the world and tell others about Jesus, right? Listen to Moses. How beautiful is this? Deuteronomy 34. You can go and read it. But Moses was 120 years old. Moses is getting ready to die. He had lived 120 years, a remarkable life, right? God used him in mighty ways. And it says at age 120, his eyes remained undimmed and his strength was not gone. Now, undimmed eyes. I have contacts. My eyes are going. And I think this is a physical thing. His eyes were strong, but I think it's also a metaphorical thing. His eyes were laser focused because it said that he was looking out over the land. Do we have undimmed eyes in our life? That's the question. Are you so laser focused on what the ministry Jesus has called you to do that your eyes are so sharply ahead that you cannot see beyond that? Is your strength just as strong today as it was yesterday? Are you looking ahead with eyes to see the glory of God before us? Fixing our eyes on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith for the joy. Do you see that? The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. So do you love Jesus? That's the question. In all the things that he's done for us and all the ways that he's provided for us, victory over creation, authority over demons, authority over sickness and authority over death. Do you see Jesus Christ as your savior? And if you don't, I would love to be able to talk to you and so would one of your leaders. And I want us to leave here today with this proclamation from Jesus in Luke 8:39. See all the Gospels share the story about the demon-possessed man except for um, John. And, but in Luke 8:39, it says this. It says, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went on his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. See, the point of that was God had rescued him, yes, in the most horrible of ways. Can you imagine a life doomed to the tombs to live? But Jesus had restored his soul. And that is why we gather today with the great joy of these stories, because we know ultimately that Jesus has victory over all of our lives if we believe in him. And I just want us to take a minute to pray today before we leave, just thanking him for the goodness of that. And one more thing, as we read these stories, as I mentioned earlier, as we tell them to our children, as we tell them to other people, may we always see them with fresh eyes. May we always love the story of the calm sea, and may we always love the story of the woman that was bleeding, because we know that Jesus Christ meets our needs. So I want to pray before we end. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word and I thank you for the truth in these stories that through us being able to have the word of God as our authority, that we're able to see the truth of who you really are and what you came to achieve. Lord, will you go out now? Will you hem us in, in the front and the back and the right or the left? Lord, will you give us eyes to see people? And would we be filled with the compassion that Jesus had for us, that he did not leave us in our state, but that he came and he saved us. Lord, I pray today that any person that we encounter, that we would be able to show the love of Christ, and as we just read in Luke 8, that we would be able to go back to our homes and our cities and our towns and our schools and our workplaces, and we would be able to tell all the things that Jesus has done. And I pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you ladies.